0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Friends From Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's a podcast that's hosted by myself, Kyle Sconowell, and my longtime friend from work, Robbie Earle. Yes, I am rushing through that intro. Why am I rushing through the intro? Cry Man Squad, FNC, double time. In the words of Michael <laughs> Scott, Crisis Management Squad, <laughs> front and center, twice as fast as we normally would go. Could you argue that I'm wasting time explaining all of this? Yes. (laughs) But we have been looking forward to re-watching Thor Love and Thunder for over a year now. Because every time we watch it, Robbie and I pick up something new. And mostly this podcast was originally started at its core to hopefully find some new things from films that maybe you didn't appreciate as much and add to your appreciation with those films. And today is a perfect example of us getting back to our core principles. Because we have so much to say, and due to our schedules, we have a hard out in one hour. So this episode needs to be under an hour. We are going to waste no time. We are going to do two parts of Thor, Love, and Thunder, our rewatch that we did last week. And so, Robbie, that's my long winded intro to say let's get right into Thor, Love, and Thunder, Shred Fest and all. <laughs> I want to try to learn that guitar solo, by the way. That's my new mission. Oh, you can do it. I don't know. The shredding at the end. Okay. Hi. Let's do it, baby.
1: Man. Okay. So, yeah. Let's just jump into this because I have been looking forward, since I kind of did my first rewatch, building out the, the Phase 4 order, I have been wanting to talk to you for longer about this. And yeah, it's been a long time. So, I guess I want to start with this realization that I've had more recently, that this movie is a lot more than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just like more. A, <laughs> well, no, I mean, in, in a lot of ways. I think to, to kind of start with, I think whenever I first saw this, you and I had conversations, even in the lead up to Love and Thunder, about is Taika going to do the thing that, James Gunn arguably did in Guardians Two by just dialing everything up to eleven and then it kind of messing with the balance. And I think that I came away from Love and Thunder initially thinking, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Like there is a bit of of oh look, this works. This is funny. Now just go all the way with it, and now it's too much. And I I think that you can make an argument that there are maybe elements of that, but I think that that misunderstands what's going on here. I I don't think that this was Taika kind of losing his hold on the MCU or the, the particular formula that had worked for Ragnarok. I think that almost everything that we see here that's super, super goofy, I think is super goofy for a reason once you see that, whether you like it or not, and I, you know, again, I should always clarify, this is not me saying if you don't like this movie, that you're you are an you're, idiot. <laughs> it's just, I think that, again, like you always say, humor is, is such a subjective thing right. that when you have a movie that is so much a comedy for, you know, a, a lot of it, you are going to turn certain people off. And so if it's not your style of humor, it's just not going to be your style of humor. But I think that there's a difference between saying like, oh man, look at Taka, he's just missing the mark because none of the stuff is funny. And that's all the movie's trying to do. And so because it didn't do that, it's a failure. And saying like, well, I don't laugh at these jokes, but what is, what's going on here? And, and is, you know, I, I think that there maybe is a message hidden in there. We maybe hinted at this when we were first covering the movie, Just like Ragnarok was really interested in exploring the idea of Thor as a king of Asgard as kind of the seat of an empire and imperialism in general and what that looks like. I think this movie is taking a, a deeper dive than I initially thought into what it looks like for Thor to be a god of thunder, and what it looks like for there to be a god of anything.
0: Your initial premise is this movie is doing more than people originally thought, ourselves included. And buckle up, give us a shot, give us one chance to try to explain why we feel that way. Yes. (laughs) So... By the way, comedy is just hard in general. It's it's so right. difficult because as soon as you make a comedy film, you're immediately ruling out, I would say, 30% of the audience who just for whatever reason isn't going to think it's funny. I mean, we actually had a oh, discussion right. about this on Discord, not specifically this film, but the fact that last week I told people that I hadn't seen Deadpool and that typically that style of movie is just not really my humor. Mm-hmm. And I just realized like, you know, That's everybody with some movie, right? Some people think the other guys isn't funny, and I can't wrap my mind around how you don't think that's funny. Uh, Some people are going to find this movie funny and others aren't. And so no matter what, when you add a lot of humor, it rules some people out. But stick with us. Even if you don't think it's funny, let us point out some of the things that this movie is actually doing really great besides Mm -hmm. the humor. Uh, This
1: movie actually answers (sighs) a lot of questions that have been – hanging out there prior to even Infinity War and, and Endgame, to some degree. Things that came up via Ragnarok, things that came up just because of the way that the Thor franchise was kind of fractured early on. The first obvious thing it, it does is it, it takes Thor from where we left him at Endgame and kind of gets him back to the version of Thor that is recognizable that can then be like back in the MCU toy box in more or less his like standard form. I appreciate that Thor is acting so weird for the first half and that turned a lot of people off, mm-hmm. but you go back to, to infinity war and Endgame, and you kind of see the break and it would be so weird for Thor to come out of that and revert to like a, a prior, you know, pre infinity war version or, you know, certainly a pre-Ragnarok version. So I think that it makes sense that we... You're you're right. Like, we find him having kind of gotten back physically, but he's acting pretty similarly to how he acted in Endgame, which is just, like, he's clearly... He's compensating with with humor and bravado, but he's, like, clearly lost and doesn't really know who he is or where he's anchored. And I think that that is fitting because if you look at Endgame like we always said that, that if that were to be the end of Thor I think you would kind of assume oh he went off somewhere and he like found himself again and that would have been fine but if you're going to pick back up with that character Endgame did not leave him in any definitive place basically all he had realized is that he, he isn't tethered to the version of himself that he, he's been or that he thought he had to be uh, for the rest of the time we've known him. And so I think it makes sense that now we pick back up with him trying to figure out, well, then who am I? And asking these questions about how his role as a god plays into that, how his role as uh, as a hero plays into that. And then it kind of leading back to him asking these questions about love and about kind of what makes life meaningful.
0: I have stuff I want to add to that then. I I totally agree I think the difference subtly is just how the Rousseaus versus how Taika handled the humor in and of itself. So I think he's in a very similar place from the MCU perspective, but those subtle differences are just the differences in the directors and the writers to me. So if you trace Thor's story going all the way back, you know, you had this guy who was full of bravado, super intense, wanted only to be king and to rule. He gets slowly humbled meets Jane over the first couple films. And then you start this trajectory of, he becomes all powerful, but even while he becomes all powerful, he loses everything. And his his power doesn't prevent him from all the pain and, and loss. So then you go through this trajectory of, he loses in Infinity War and he loses in Ragnarok. And then he comes back from that and handles it in the way he does, which is he he drinks, he doesn't take care of his body. He kind of gives up hope. And he's hurting inside in Endgame. And I think this actually is a perfect continuation of that, where, yes, now he was at the bottom. At the very end of Endgame, he starts getting healed a little bit. But now this is a guy who has nothing. He he has none of his friends. He doesn't have any of his family. He doesn't have his planet. He's not a king. And he's lost all that stuff. And I'm with you a little bit that this is kind of the next logical step for him as a character, Mm -hmm. right? Like the overcompensating... The over joking, the bravado of ripping off the shirt and standing there as like a big entrance. And they literally, via Korg, explain at the beginning of the film Uh like where he's at. They explain that he doesn't know anything else. So now he just sits and waits to be asked for the next battle and say, Thor, we need your help. Because he doesn't know what else to do. And so I actually on this watch agree. I picked up on that more than ever before. It is funny, and for me, it's a little bit too goofy at times. He's a little bit sure. too, quote-unquote, dumb in the beginning. Uh, we've talked about that at nauseum in the past. But, yes, I see what they're doing. Like, it makes sense. He's lost. He's hurting, and he doesn't know where to go.
1: And what I appreciate is it, it almost makes it an inverse journey from the one that Taika took him on in Ragnarok, where in that movie – it starts with Thor like he he's sort of got it all together. I mean, he's he's lost his mom in in the dark world, but aside from that, it's like he's Asgard as far as he knows when Ragnarok starts is in good shape and Odin's there and and he's like he's beaten Ultron and things are good on Earth and then he's out trying to find the Infinity Stones and he's just we open that movie with him talking about what heroes do and and it's just like a we are introduced to classic Thor at the start of Ragnarok. And by the end of that movie, he's, his hair is cut and he's lost an eye and Asgard has exploded and Odin's dead. And it's like, he's, he's had to kind of lose everything. And in doing that has figured out what it is to actually be the king of Asgard. But it's like my, my point being it's a deconstruction. And I think here we have. construction where we're starting with him kind of being in a spot of of having been beaten down even further than where he was at the end of Ragnarok and then we get the chance to kind of see him build back up and in that way I think that this movie is (laughs) from almost a, a classic sense a comedy as opposed to a tragedy in that it's, it's moving ultimately towards a resolution, even though this movie, I think, pulls on your heartstrings more so than even Ragnarok did. We get the chance to see Thor kind of reclaim a lot. Like everything that he has lost, not just in Ragnarok, but through the entire journey through the Infinity Saga, we see him kind of re-explore piece by piece and regain, but in in new ways. And so it's like we talk about with this idea of moving up the, the mountain in circles where he's reaching the same spot, but from a higher perspective. Just from the MCU, like, what are we doing with Thor's story? I think that to look at this and say, oh, man, this is just Taika trying to make Thor super funny and missing the mark is to really... I think it's not to give this a, a fair shot and, and to give Taika credit because I, I don't think that... Like, there's a way to read this as Taika just... Phoning it in and not caring, and and I just want to be goofy because he kind of he has that oh, like gosh. that's his shtick.
0: Okay, that was going to be my follow up point. I was going to say part of the problem there, I think, is that as a human being, Tyka has only leaned into that. So anytime you watched any of the marketing of the behind the scenes, it was like right. Tyka being Tyka. It was being so goofy. It's him being like, oh, no, it's just me making a comedy. And I don't know what I'm doing in the MCU. And like that was all like that was the entire marketing plan. And I think in a weird way, it sells himself short. And you say, well, oh, Kyle and Robbie, you're just reading all of that into a film that he was not trying to do that. He was clearly just being goofy. How do you know that that's at all what he was intending to do and talk about some of the thematic elements we're going to talk about? Well, I know that because I've seen his other movies.
1: Go watch Jojo
0: Rabbit and tell me he doesn't have thought or care. Go watch Ragnarok and tell me he's not thinking of what he's doing. So he almost hurts his own case. He hurts his own case with that. But I'm with you. I think all that stuff is in there. And by the way, following up on the MCU-ness, you talked about Thor Mm -hmm. and his journey. But we're underselling what it actually does for Valkyrie, for New Asgard, and for Jane. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, yeah. i was about to hit Jane.
0: Well, so the MCU-ness of it, is also advanced in a lot of other ways besides just Thor's character.
1: Right. Well, and, and I'm glad you, so I'm glad you took us there because I think one of the big questions that Taika himself kind of asked and then now answers here is I remember when, when Ragnarok came out, everyone was like, what is this jump from a version of Thor that we knew even in age of Ultron to now he, he's like, speaks slightly differently. And I remember r- watching behind the scenes stuff in Ragnarok and then talking about him getting kind of a, a different dialect coach or, or maybe the same dialect coach, but a different approach in what they were trying to get from him, less Shakespearean and kind of leaning more into his Australian slash Taika's New Zealand accent. Uh, but I think that, that that was always like, okay, this is such a different version of the character are we just going to say that this is a different take on him or is there some kind of in-universe explanation? And I remember at the time, or whenever we were doing the rewatch, talking about what could have happened that would have led him to be more, like, more, uh, talk more like a human and and less like an Asgardian. But here, Taika kind of makes it explicit. Like, he he goes back and talks about his relationship with Jane and there's a line where he says that Thor taught Jane the way of the warrior. Oh, and yeah. And she taught point. Thor the way of the people. And you see him going out to dinner with her and going to parties with her. And you realize that in the time between Thor the Dark World and Thor Ragnarok, including time before and after Age of Ultron, I think, based on the way that montage goes, it would make sense. He's, for the first time in his life, spending a ton of time in... Like in the company of of people in a different like not as the God of Thunder or as an Asgardian, but just as kind of a person. But then also, I think that to your point about the the Jane of it all, that was the big thing that was that was kind of dangling. Like this was a character that was introduced in the the first scene of the first Thor movie, and we never really knew what happened to her. We haven't heard anything about her other than like one quick aside in Ragnarok. And Endgame, I guess. I feel like not only does this answer those questions of where Jane has been, I think another thing that it does really well that I appreciate is it explains why it's Jane that that becomes Thor, which is something that I don't think the comic from Jason Aaron actually ever really did. Like, in the comic, it was just there must always be a Thor, and so because it's not Thor and because Jane is an existing character within that mythos, it was fun to make it her. And that I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize how, how that story was told. Cause I think Jason Aaron did a great job, but here it actually makes, it makes more sense. And it fits into the theme of the entire film that we'll talk about in a second by hooking it into Thor wanting to protect Jane and kind of giving that charge to Mjolnir where now it's like, it's not just a, a random thing where Jane is worthy and therefore Jane should be Thor. It's like, it is that, but it's also baked into this idea that that's how Mjolnir works. That's how Jane and Thor's relationship works. So it's all like, to me, r- remarkably symmetrical like I, I I think that it makes a certain sense that is easy to miss maybe if you haven't thought about it as much as I have uh, <laughs> which is probably too much but I think that th- those to me are uh, every, everything that we've that we've talked about so far in terms of just those characters moving forward I feel like are all both like important and impressive in in the way that they're handled.
0: Wow. He's back, baby. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a meat and potatoes, vegetables, broccoli, squash type episode. I mean, there's just no nonsense here. I totally agree. I don't have anything to add. This movie
1: is almost everything that he's doing comes from Jason Aaron, which is kind of crazy. Like it's Mm. not. I mean, Gore is a Jason Aaron character and story jane foster as thor is a jason aaron character and story but jason aaron is such a kind of like like i love vikings guy like yeah, it's very vikings. like he can be really funny so i don't want to take that away from him but it, it is like a when you read these you're reading like a you know like a manly thor not a good to kind know. of funny silly thor
0: that's good to uh, know and, but and here, honestly, that probably influences some people's opinions on the film,
1: right? Absolutely. And again, you know, I think one thing that's worth noting is Jason Aaron was, in fact, a consultant on this movie. We so met him. We we did meet him in line at the premiere. Yeah, uh, so he was there. But he's a part of this. <laughs> he's he's a part of it. And he has said that that they took some of his suggestions, though not all of them. But I think that, one, it's it's a really interesting way to do an adaptation. We've talked about how I think that it's it's about finding the things within that story that are true and carrying those forward without feeling like you have to be a slave to every to every detail in terms of the execution right i think that's happening here it's also this is a very because of of what taika's doing thematically but also just because of the version of thor he's exploring it's a really heightened reality Within this MCU, like it's a it's a very comic booky, like a uh, colorful, reminiscent of Multiverse of Madness in that way. Take. Don't
0: say heightened reality. We don't know what it means. Okay, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's a uh, like what
1: I mean is is it's clear that this movie is not. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's not operating in the same world that Civil War is. Right, even it's though a space it is opera.
0: Yeah, it's a space yeah. opera colors, and, the ideas, yeah.
1: And so it's introducing, I think, not introducing, but emphasizing something that we see more in the comics that we are now seeing make its way into the MCU, which is this idea that you are going to have different creators take on the same properties. And when, when you do that, yes, everything is canon, right? Like, yes, everything that happened in Civil War... Or in Thor: The Dark World, or however you want to look at it, did happen in this same universe. But also, people are acting in a way here that is so extreme and so Mm -hmm. different. So again, I don't want to. I understand why that would be a turnoff to people, but I think that that is a choice, and I think that that's something that we need to kind of.
0: It's distracting people from some of these other great points.
1: Well and and it's a big change from the Infinity Saga. Like Ragnarok yeah. did this a bit. Generally like the the window was smaller. Like yes, you would have some some movies that were funnier and some movies that were darker, but I think that like the the space between those was less whereas I think now as we're getting into phase 4 for better or worse, you're getting a lot like it's it's a wider spectrum. You know, you can either be into that or not. But I say all this because I feel like that is where we get into the movie making of it, like some of the choices that he took. And so I am curious to hear what your your nitty gritty points are.
0: Okay. Since we're on the clock, first of all, let me say you were talking about Jason Aaron. Check out organicpricebooks.com if you want to read more Jason Aaron comics. That's what you should do. And I love that I've been seeing people using our promo code in these emails I've been getting. So yes, promo code friendsfromwork. Check out more comics at organicpricebooks.com. You've heard us talk about them a lot. But- I think this is perfect. Let's do five minutes on just a couple nitty gritty details here. Then we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear all about the thematic side of Thor, love and thunder and finish up with, if it's not your number one film in the MCU, where could it have improved? Like why not? And we'll finish with a tiny little Mm -hmm. caveat there. But for the most part, I love you taking the lead here. I mean, this (laughs) is like me last week. It's the total inverse. Okay. Just really briefly, small things. I love, I I can't emphasize how powerful the first, like, 10 minutes of the film are. To start with gore in the way they do, Mm -hmm. I've said before, for whatever reason, because I'm a dad with a young daughter about that age, I have a legitimate hard time watching the intro of this film. I did when we first saw it, but now that I have a daughter, it's even worse, and I don't know. It's so heartbreaking to me, and that's what Taika does best. I remember I said this in the original episode, but remember we had all that metal music and the lasers going at the world premiere Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, and then there's no previews or there's no intro. The curtain goes up, and it's that start, and we were all just stunned that they're starting the film the first five minutes with with that kind of pain and heartbreak. But it lays the foundation perfectly for the end of the film. The second thing I want to point out there is it goes immediately from – gore confronting that God getting the necrosword, which I want to reel back. I don't think it's ever as goofy as I thought. I think I was a little bit weirded out by like the flowers that could talk and stuff. But to your point, you Mm -hmm. just said, yeah, it's just that it's a different, it lives in a different world. It's doing a different thing. And so I think the first time you see it, that's a little bit like, whoa, what? But on subsequent watches, every time I watch it, I'm like, the God's not saying anything goofy. He's horrible. He's saying the worst things you could possibly say to a human in this you know, right. position, having just lost his daughter and starving to death. And it makes you so mad, which is exactly the point, right? It's supposed to make your blood boil and make mm-hmm. you feel why Gore is going to do this, right? You get it. And then I think it's just – I think it was just a tone setter for the, the the uniqueness of the choices of like the flowers talking. And I just don't feel as weird about it now as I did then. But then right. you get the whole intro to Thor and what he's been doing with the Guardians, which is funny, but it is laying the groundwork for what we just talked about, that he's overcompensating, too much bravado. This is clear, like it's so over the top that if you don't walk away with that being your takeaway, then I think you're missing the point. Like it he's intentionally making it so ridiculous with the splits, not just right. for humor, but also to show you that like, yes, it's funny, but he's in a weird spot. Clearly. That's the whole point of it. And the fact that on this watch, I, I notice how much the people he's quote unquote saving are not very thankful to him because he's mm-hmm. in this spot. The God of destruction is what they call him the last time when right. they walk up. Um, and Thor is kind of missing that, that I think there's even more going on there than I originally thought. Cause I was just distracted by the lasers and the weird furry right. people. And by the way, to that point,
1: like, I, I think that that also kind of makes sense with where we left thor cuz like, you look back at endgame one of the last moments we got with him was trying to be the one that got to snap and trying to be trying to show that he was so strong and he could do it all and now it's like yeah he is physically able to do it so he is so overdoing it in every way all the time
0: right but then my favorite call of this intro is thor goes another classic Thor adventure. And he raises his ax and the camera pans up and you've brought this up before as it pans up. I have chills right now. It just goes to Jane in the, what is it? The um, cat scan machine the MRI, the MRI. What a genius turn. I mean, yeah. it goes from Thor totally overcompensating all this bravado, totally missing the point and being like classic Thor adventure to immediately. Like while you're doing this Thor, this is the kind of stuff you're missing on. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the stuff you're missing. Jane is going through stage four cancer. You're not there. You're overcompensating with this other stuff. And I love the tonal shift of how serious it gets for a second there. Um, And really shows Jane kind of overcompensating by not wanting to sit through the chemo. And again, where I think Tuckett does a good job is he balances the lack of humor there. It's not like Darcy comes in with a big joke. I was right. very nervous that Darcy, there's a moment where she goes, mm, so mm, uh, how you doing? And for a second, I thought she was going to be like, "Uh, you know, and make some goofy right. comment right. right there. But it's not. She says like, so how are you doing? Because she feels uncomfortable that Jane's not getting it. So there's a little bit of... Tyka lets the moment sit more than we all originally thought the first time mm-hmm. without humor.
1: No, I totally agree. Again, it's it, it is a comedy, and, and a lot of for a lot of this movie is a comedy. Portions of it definitely aren't, but as a whole, like yes, he's clearly trying to get laughs. I do laugh at a lot of it, but I also think that those jokes are very intentionally placed. And you're right; like I think that the the kind of the comedy of like another classic Thor adventure and, Oh, he just, he tore down all this stuff, but it's like just Thor being goofy. Yeah. Juxtaposed. That is, I think probably for some people jarring and looks like, like bad filmmaking, but I just feel the, the exact opposite. Like, I, I think that that's a, I mean, that's the thing you said this in your, in your, uh, movie club, look at, at Jojo Rabbit before Lemon Thunder came oh, out. Gosh, like that yes. is the Taika thing. It's the it's that constant juxtaposition of the the tragic and the absurd.
0: Well and he and, makes it jarringly quick. That is his shtick. Right. He's gonna go from Jojo chasing a butterfly to and I'm not gonna spoil it, but the most shocking visual of the film in right. literally a frame. And he does that kind of here with this classic Thor Adventure. Jane has stage four cancer, and right. there's no, and that's the thing I I love it because I find myself going like classic third film. oh like yeah. frick, and I think that's really powerful. Two more filmmaking things, then we're getting to the thematic elements. On this watch, I think I undersold the differences in the way that Christian Bale is acting gore with the sword and without the sword.
1: Yes. I never yeah. caught
0: that before. But like, okay, the intro is clearly gore not infected or poisoned by this disease from the sword. And so mm-hmm. he's he cares for his daughter. He sees the God and goes like, oh my goodness, like uh, it's so good to see you. Like you need to, see, there's, but my Lord, there's not people to save anymore, right. to worship you, blah, blah. It's very, and then as soon as the sword infects him, you actually see it. That's when you hear him talk differently. His voice Mm -hmm. changes. Then that whole middle of the film that I used to complain about how he's a little bit too much goofy, like the Joker almost. Well, that's him clearly being poisoned by this sword. And then I didn't really catch that the second that sword gets destroyed and he's in eternity, it's short. But that whole last tidbit, he doesn't talk like that or act like that again.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and his teeth are back to normal. Like he, the character design shifts.
0: And I think I just viewed it the first time as like, man, he's playing this a little too zany for me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, oh, that was even intentional by him and by Taika. The sword is what's making him zany. And the snake stuff, you know, cutting off the head and and the way he talks and Mm -hmm. your god's betrayed, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden he gets really normal at the end. So I undersold that. And then my last thing, I took an actual note. From one hour and 11 minutes, 71 minutes and 55 seconds into this film, the last whatever it takes from that point on, this is a top five MCU film for me.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that.
0: Now, one could argue like what happened that it took 71 minutes to get to that point. But at 71 minutes and 55 seconds is when Jane says to Thor, I have cancer. Just out of nowhere. And from that moment on, Thor never makes a silly comment or joke the rest of the film. That is the shift in Thor's character, which now that I've watched this a bunch of times, I realize how right. beautifully paced that is actually, that he finally gets to this point of accepting. Like that is his growth moment. He's gone from all the over bravado we talked about, but at 71 minutes, it hits him and he changes. And the back half of this film, not only the action, not only the Mm -hmm. way Gore changes his acting, but the way Thor now is a different human, that conversation with Jane, I have children now, at the hospital bed, Um, and then the whole ending of the film in eternity, and even the way they sum it up back on New Asgard, it's all perfect. That's that's one of my favorite films in the MCU from that point on. And I, I think there's crazy beauty in the subtlety of that shift. So yeah. I have a couple critiques from before that, but I was just struck by how moved I was from that moment. So those are my three quick little filmmaking caveats I wanted to follow up on since the first time we talked about this movie.
1: And and I think, because I was looking for that too, the moments we do get from Thor that have a bit of comedy in them, it, it feels like, like, what I like is it's not such a, it is a subtle shift. It's not so jarring that it's like now Thor is like, fully Thor, the dark world version, like in the darkest parts of that movie, but it is like comedy from Ragnarok and before where it's like, you have those kind of moments of like Thor, not knowing how to, how a vending machine works.
0: Yes. That feels very
1: classic Thor, like like first two Thor films.
0: But yeah, it's totally different humor. You're right. That's like a, Thor is aware of the fact that he doesn't know it's a vending machine in that joke. Whereas like before that he's so overcompensating that I don't know that he is self-aware that he's coming across like that. Right. So right. he's allowed to make a joke. And from 71 minutes on, he does make a joke, but it's not, he's not the butt of the joke in his lack of awareness.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think it's uh I still think Endgame is is so instructive in that. Like, you you can look at the way he's introduced in that scene when Bruce first goes to his place in New Asgard, and the the mannerisms that Hemsworth kind of finds there in that version of Thor, you see a lot slightly differently, again, like we said, but you see those all through the first half of this movie, and you don't really see those after. Like, the kind of, like the, the it, it it's and again i i we haven't said this yet so i want to shout out chris hemsworth's performance in this film because i think that can also get lost
0: he it's, he it's, comes to this with a lot of nuance oh it's 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 unbelievable you're so right i used to just think about kind of the comedy bits and those are funny to me sometimes over the top sometimes don't work but mm-hmm. dude again from that 71 minute mark I don't think, and we'll talk about this in a second. I don't think the final sequence with Jane could have been acted better by anybody else. It's so perfect. Yeah. The four of them at the end. I, I, I'm, I, I, uh, well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, yeah. this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the thematic elements of *Himena God. We're going to talk about movies that make us cry legitimately. And then we'll talk about a couple of the concerns from the film after a quick word from these sponsors. all right, this is an actual challenge to us. Can we finish this in 20 to 30 minutes, Robbie? That's our goal. We have a hard out. We got to be really succinct with our answers. I agree with Thor's acting. Let's go. Talk to me about the godness of this film and some of the deeper layers that Taika is putting into this film that maybe you didn't catch the first time. So in, in the same way that
1: Ragnarok, I think every time we see the... When we see Asgard, like the, the first time we see it in that film, it's Loki pretending to be Odin and he's sitting there and he's eating his grapes and they're putting on this like indulgent play and everything's gold. And it's such a kind of damning look at at those in power and what the, the people that are supposed to be ruling are actually doing. And then, you know, we, we delve into all that via Hela here. You kind of set this up earlier. We we have the same thing, but it's much more focused. And I think just as a whole, one realization I had, I still love Ragnarok a ton. And this is not me saying that this is better than Ragnarok. I do think that this film is thematically more cohesive than Ragnarok, because I think in a lot of ways that movie, it it had to do more for the MCU. It was more tied in. It was leading into Infinity War. It had to deal with Hulk. And I don't think any of those things were to its detriment. I just think that it didn't have the, like this movie feels like a Taika Waititi movie that is set in the MCU.
0: Ragnarok is not carrying as much thematic weight for sure, which is so funny because this film, Love and Thunder, is the one that is painted as a just a classic Thor adventure, and it's a space right. rom-com, and it's a joke, and it's a comedy, and so it gets written off. But actually, yeah, I think this is doing way more than Ragnarok thematically. Because you you're the, the
1: whole film is asking the question that I think we're all asking coming into this, which is, what does it mean to be a god in the MCU? And, and it's one of the reasons why I like this falling where it does. Because we've explored that a bit in Eternals. We've explored it a lot in Moon Knight where we saw gods being either uh, like neutral and not involving themselves or being actually kind of sadistic in their involvement, whether you're looking at, at Ahmet or Khonshu. And then now we pick right up with this opening scene of a god who not only doesn't care about the people that worship him, he actively... Disdains them and is is like has zero mercy, doesn't care at all. All he cares about is his own glory and be able to sit and eat again fruit and be surrounded by by all of these beautiful forest creatures, I guess, depending on how you look at well, it.
0: And I think that's the point of the orgy bit. That's the point of him going so over the top with Zeus being so unaware. And Thor having to say, like, are you literally not hearing what I'm saying? You're uninvited to the orgy. It's like, dude, you're only so concerned with that that you're not even listening to what I'm saying. Well, and and I think even Thor plays
1: into that for the first half of this movie, right? Because he's kind of one of
0: those gods-ish.
1: Yeah, he's supposed to be helping people on this, like the first planet that we find him on. And because he's going so over the top, destroys the entire temple, He's better than uh, than the god of the beginning and than Zeus, and that he is trying to help people, but he's still helping people in a way that's really self-serving because he just wants to have the he wants to feel important and have the adventure and try to find meaning in that. and And yeah, you're right. I think on, omnipotent city is definitely supposed to be showing us that. Like all of these gods are there. He can't get anybody to actually do something to help anybody but themselves, not only because they're like, and this is the big choice. You could have done that in a way where it's more like Moon Knight, where they're playing it more seriously and they're like, oh, we can't get involved and this is not a matter for us to be a part of. Good point. And I could see some people saying that's what I wanted. But I think what Taika does intentionally here is he doesn't want to give these characters even that much respect because yeah. he's trying to show how despicable it is and how like indulgent this idea is that a god is supposed to be worshipped without providing anything in return good point <laughs> and so i think that it, it is it's it's like Especially where in the MCU for the longest time, we didn't ever even refer to Thor as a god. Like the, the idea is he was an alien that was worshipped as a god because people were primitive at the time. But then we're starting to realize like, okay, well, as of Ragnarok, we do have this language of him being the god of thunder and what does that mean and hell is the goddess of death. And so there are gods, which we then see in Moon Knight, like I said. So that's the question that this movie then answers not just by contrasting thor to these gods in an omnipotent city but because of the and this is where I'm I'm just saying it's so thematically cohesive because of the journeys we have specifically with jane and gore because the the line like that that scene that you talked about where where jane tells thor that she has cancer That not only is the turning point from it kind of being more of a comedy to uh, something deeper, but it's also a a turning point in the way that, that Thor, I think, starts to understand godhood. They have that conversation where he talks about Jane being worthy and Jane making him worthy and i think that's the key to this whole movie for me because if you go all the way back to the first to the first film it is jane that teaches thor what it is to sacrifice and he like gives up his own life at the end or thinks he is you know for for her sake and for the sake of earth and it's this realization that it's jane that makes thor different from other gods which by the way makes jane such like it, it really serves that character and a character that I think has, has been really squandered for so much of the MCU. It gives Natalie Portman the chance to do something really incredible in this film. And it's what makes this, this movie such a powerful reframing of the entire Thor story from that first film all the way to here, because she is the one that ultimately saves the day here which is fascinating because it's a dying mortal that saves
0: all the gods in the universe. Not to mention just how unbelievable that is as a story choice, that every time she has to touch the hammer, she is strong, but it's killing her, and what that right. would be like for them. Oh, it's, it's so good. Well, I,
1: I think it's... The, the question that's being asked here between her and Gore what do we owe to the gods and what do the gods owe to us again within the MCU? Because after the scene we talk about with Gore, he is left thinking that none of the gods actually care about anybody, but themselves, which is kind of what we see up until that midway point. And then we start to see that, no, like there, there is a way, but the, the thing that actually makes you a God is, a willingness to sacrifice yourself for your people, which is like a very like it. it it's a really interesting take from from Taika here. This
0: is heavy stuff. Oh, Robbie, just because it.
1: you get to the end of the movie and you have Jane. First off, like, and I think this plays into why she she goes to Valhalla and why she kind of turns into Gold Dust. She's the one that decides by even picking up the hammer to sacrifice her own life. Then you have Thor in that final moment, whenever they're there with eternity. Thor chooses to reach out to Gore and, in some ways, sacrifice himself instead of trying to get Jane back somehow and, and that be the wish, or instead of just killing Gore like a prior version of Thor might have, Thor kind of sacrifices his own happiness for. Gore, like he takes a moment there at the end oh. and and shows Gore what it is to choose love like they talk about and to bring his daughter back instead of going the violent path or instead of, again, Thor trying to, to figure out a way to bring Jane back. And so then finally, it's like because of what Thor has learned from Jane. He is now in the same way that we saw him at the end of Ragnarok, learning what it is to really be a king and what that can look like. Learning that it can actually be a really beautiful thing to be a god that, that gives of yourself and, and gives things up for your people. And then seeing Gore understand that and Gore, who has hated gods rightly for everything that he's seen them do to him and to others, having that moment with Thor. And Jane, because Jane's the one that ultimately says Thor can can take your daughter, and then there's a beautiful moment there. To your point with Christian Bale's performance, where it's it's like it really is this crazy full circle moment for me, where like Taika is, exp- he's exploring something that I don't think any other Marvel film has ever even tried or whatever even try to touch. And I think doing it remarkably well
0: in a comedy. (laughs) The ending is jaw droppingly good. I can't emphasize this enough. It's, it's a, it's one of the best things they've ever created that shot in eternity. Mm -hmm. Once you go on the journey you just talked about, I think Thor and Jane's acting is way undersold here. How Thor basically has very little to say for the first time ever. How about the fact that, yes, Thor now chooses love instead of violence for the first time ever. He doesn't have to beat him. And then I love the subtlety in in the beauty of Jane coming up with a catchphrase, but then us not hearing it. And then Thor just kissing her and saying it's perfect. And they both have a laugh like I'm getting sad right now. And, and then the beauty of, like you said, Gore seeing that it, profoundly impacting him to where he changes his mind on what he's going to do and then getting to see his daughter again. And then I get so sad thinking about the life they don't get to live now. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. so beautiful. And then my Enneagram seven is like so heartbroken at the fact that now they don't get to do this. So similar to interstellar, which is so funny because they reference interstellar earlier, but like the same feeling at the very end of that film where now the life is not going to be shared but then Gore getting that moment at least at, at nothing else. And then still, yes, getting a moment with Thor to be like, please watch over her. Like, like she's going to have no one. That's literally what he says, which is so sad to me as a father. Um, mm-hmm. And then even the way Thor then embraces that with the pan flaps, and all that's perfect. Like, that's that normal is, humor. Yeah, That's normal, like... Thor, yeah. like you said, that's Thor humor from Dark World, where it would totally fit. Like, and and as an audience, you can totally buy into that at that point. That's an emotionally healthy Thor now, a self aware yeah. Thor. At now, he's a, in a different place. He has to parent. I just think, and then the way Jane dies, and Thor just like he's kind of holding her, and because she turns into dust, his hands kind of just drop, and he's on his knees. And it's just like he's got a tear in his eye, but he's not like weeping. It's like an acceptance of what he knows has to happen because of the decision she made. But he also Mm -hmm. accepts why she had to make that decision. And it's like when she shows up and he says, Jane, no. But then I love there's not a big disagreement after that. Like, now it's done. Now she already made the decision, so now we have to, you know, solve this. So even before yeah. that, it's handled perfectly. Because there's, there's another what? route where, like, he could have been like, Jane, you can't be here. Like, you shouldn't do this. Whack, whack, right. whack. Why don't you go back? Smack. You know what I mean? Like, that could have been a version. Instead, for him to just be like, oh, no. Like, that's when it hit him. So then, by the time she's actually dying, it's just acceptance to him. I, I can't emphasize enough... The ending of this movie is perfect. This movie, I watched it on an airplane. I had legitimate tears coming down my cheeks. And I thought to myself, like, dude, there. first of all, I don't cry very much. So there are very few movies that can actually move me to tears. Mm-hmm. And there's something about this one that makes me cry. And so I texted you and said, I'm actually full out weeping on this airplane. <laughs> and I, I, it's so hard to explain because this is the comedy. This is the goofy movie. Why is this the right. one? And I looked it up and I was going through my list. I, I, I legitimately think that there are only, I want to say three to five films in the MCU that actually get me so choked up that tears can come to my eyes. And I have to like fight it off if I don't want to be crying in the spot that I'm <laughs> in. And that's crazy, because there's a lot of times that I say, um, this makes me sad, but right. very rarely is it actually so powerful that it moves me to tears, and I just think it has to be noted that this movie does that.
1: I was really struck by, like, that that scene with Eternity has always stood out to me, but this, this last time, the final scene, well, with Gore's daughter, I love that the the whole movie gore is talking about how there is no eternal reward because that's what his god told him and he he never got there there it's all been a lie but ultimately there is an eternal reward there's a reward literally from eternity in the form of his daughter coming back and that's beautiful to me but then the way that that carries forward in that thor now is watching over her in the way that that a god should watch over his people but also teaching her to be a god that watches over other people and it's like this 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 really beautiful subversion of the the kind of state of the world that we're given at the start of this film
0: how about also I, bringing it full circle with actual love and thunder being the last two words right. of the film and we never projected that love and thunder meant him being thunder oh, right. and his daughter being love.
1: Well, and and the fact that he winds up with Mjolnir again. Yes. Like and what that now means. I love. Like I love that like even again going back to, to Endgame where you have that scene of Thor being like, "No, no, 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 you take the little one, I get the big one with Cap." And like the fact that he's giving her Stormbreaker because he wants Mjolnir because of what it both what it means to him but also I, I think in large part because of how it's connected to Jane and how beautiful that is and what that means to to he and Love's relationship. And so it's like, all of that works. Like, this is what I mean. Like, the more you dig into this movie, I, there's so much more than we have time to get into that I right. feel like we'll have to do like an overflow Friends from Work Plus episode on some of this. But like, I really do think if you go back through and, and watch this movie and look for this stuff it is remarkable how everything serves like the the central kind of motif from from taika
0: Okay, so full disclosure, a little Wizard of Oz behind the curtain type stuff. We didn't stick to our time limit. We had a hard out, (laughs) but we didn't make it. And so we came back and we punched some more stuff on Thor Love and Thunder because we just love it so much and we got to get all this across. And we lost the file. And so here we are two days later doing that same punch. In addition to this episode, I hope you can give us a little bit of grace, but we're back with a few more Thor love and thunder thoughts. Robbie, I know we cut out when you were in the middle of a thought, so I'll let you take it away. Which I just
1: is so good because I haven't really gotten any of my thoughts across in this right. episode yet. You, you didn't have a so, chance
0: in the first hour. <laughs> I
1: re- yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd barely let me talk. Here's the fun thing about us losing (laughs) that that recording that I didn't tell you is uh, I went by my local comic book store yesterday to pick up the new releases, and one of the new releases there was this guy.
0: Oh wow. And all of these sticky notes on vinyl?
1: No, it's it's uh it's I've never seen one of these. I'm sure some of our listeners have, but it's a Marvel Studios official movie special. I've also got
0: this one now. Come uh, next week. Center it up. Center it up. Center it up. I couldn't see it. Move okay. it over. Now what go, is here it? Go, here we go. Oh wow,
1: Loki. So I've never, I've never read any of these, but they're really great. It's like basically just a a hardcover, like little mini uh, compilation of interviews that Marvel Studios has done with like the main cast members and head of makeup and visual and costume, and uh That's cool. it's Taika. Yeah, so I was, it wound up being a really great one. It was really affirming because I actually feel like a lot of what we covered in the first chunk of this episode really matches up with what the, especially with what Chris and Taika were saying they were going for here. Oh, that makes me happy. But also it was just, yeah, it was just a fun, uh, so I got a couple little little things that I can point out, but I think most of them, a lot of them we already kind of hit on, so...
0: It looks you know like what? a vinyl cover from my view. Sorry, but yeah.
1: No, it is like a. It's a pretty thin book, uh, but I would. Yeah, I think I would recommend these if people can find them at a good, good price. They're like really high quality stills all through here, and like Andy, a lot of Andy Park, which oh, is yeah. fun, friend of the Our pod. Friend.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh. So yeah, really great experience. And man, I, I guess this is a good way to kind of start the summary here. I just am so convinced. Having gone through this, there is a tendency to think that because of the, especially the way Tyka carries himself, that right. all of this is just kind of an afterthought and he's just having fun and he doesn't really care and he doesn't, he's just like phoning it in or something. And Good point. he is an improvisational filmmaker and they like everyone that's interviewed here makes some comment about that. But almost everyone in here also makes a comment about how invested he is and how much of a genius he is and how he like really wants to get in the middle of it and how much him playing Korg is kind of part of that because he gets to be in the scene and almost direct from within it and kind of see what it needs being there, like interacting with Chris and Natalie and Tessa. And so, again, I always want to say, like, this is not to... to Guilt people if they didn't like the movie. Like, if you don't like the movie, you don't like the movie. But I really don't think the narrative that Taika just kind of came in and like left a, a fire in the MCU because he he didn't really care is right. is false. And I and and I also think that from the MCU perspective, like we just talked about a while in the first chunk of this, he talks several times in in this like in the interviews here about how much fun he had in the MCU with Ragnarok, how much that universe specifically is kind of fertile soil for someone that is as imaginative as he is because it's kind of just, it's endless where you want to go with that. And so he talks about how much this movie, he wanted to, like we talked about a lot, especially when it first came out, how it's not really connected to like the multiverse saga, which is true. Right. But he was intent on, Expanding the MCU tonally and visually and like even kind of geographically, and how much he's wanting to, to show different locations and different ways that people interact across like when when you're looking at Omnipotent City or Indigar. So you don't add that point tiny being, detail
0: of the celestials unless you know that stuff. Isn't that crazy that as they're leaving the city, you see those two celestials? Like and they're exactly love- visualized the same.
1: And I love that in like in our watch order, it's such a great follow up coming, you know, just two projects after after Eternals. But I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because that's another thing that I think Taika has done since Ragnarok. Like he's always leaned into the Jack Kirby imagery in a way that I think is really cool. Like, the not only the Celestials, but also, like, in that final scene, you see a couple of shout-outs of sort of classic Jack Kirby cosmic beings. I'm pretty sure you can see the Watcher at one point oh, if wow. you look closely. Yeah, and even, you know, I had thought about this all through, you know, every time I've seen the film, but especially looking at some of these costumes, like, it's it's clear that he's going for some of these kind of hard, angular line designs that jack kirby loved so much Mm. and that's another fun thing is like reading up from the costume folks perspectives like they incorporated i think they said every suit thor has worn at least in the thor movies i think at one point maybe in the the part where he's running and that we saw in the trailer uh that's maybe the avengers costume But, like, they worked all that in and brought in elements of that for Jane's suit to make her look like Thor. And so my point being, like, there was a lot of thought and all of that, like, Chris was a part of because he... And that's the other thing here. He feels so passionately about always taking this character further. But also, he really identifies with the character Mm -hmm. and is always kind of putting more of himself into it. Mm -hmm. So it's just... I, I really... I really think that a lot of thought went into so many elements of this movie,
0: right, and some of the public perception is that it's the exact opposite that no thought went into it. It was all willy-nilly and yeah yes. that's what's so funny, yeah, it's way and deeper than it comes across on the surface that came
1: across especially in the uh in the interviews that I read with Natalie and Tessa because oh, really? they talked about how how much it's this like constant genre shifting between like Jane specifically or Natalie specifically talks about the, the scene with Jane and Thor on the boat when she tells him she has cancer. That's the moment I was talking about. And she talks about how it's, it's like one of the silliest moments, both like visually and they're talking about the dolphins and some of the kind of like awkward humor. And also one of the heaviest moments in the MCU, like, juxtaposed and that's what we talked about Taika doing so much but she pointed out which i loved and Tessa said something really similar that the beauty of that is they were trying to they were trying to convey what tragedy actually looks like in real life and how normally it is always coupled with this kind of dark humor that that ah. people either use to deflect or people will use because like that's the only way that you can cope And so this like this sense that it's not I mean, it's Jane and and it's Valkyrie as well. But especially Thor, if we're kind of looking at his journey, it really is this like he he starts off. And like we talked about with compensating, he's trying to figure out who he is and where he belongs. And I love like looking at that through each stage of this movie where it's like in the start. He's, he's trying to be very like Guardian-esque and mm. that doesn't work. And so As then Guardian, he goes hardcore yes. like, he like, even the costume changes, again, not to harp on that, but like whenever he goes to see um, <laughs> Sif and he does, it's like the oh, big yeah. furry, like it's very kind of like Viking classic Thor in a certain way. And then whenever he sees Jane in her Thor outfit, yeah. he famously like goes way over the top And it's like he's constantly looking for something and he's constantly trying to, again, like deflect and find meaning and figure out like where he can actually be at at peace and fulfilled. And so I think that moment really is, like you said, the the crux of the movie, because it's it's like a great example of even then when she tells him and he's like, wait, what is happening and then it finally starts to move into a place where he's not posturing and she's not posturing. And it's like, you start to see people, even, even Valkyrie's character and that scene with, where she's talking with Cork, kind of be honest with each other. So Taika
0: knew that he couldn't tear Thor down again. And I love that he accepts that, embraces that. And instead of tearing him down in a, different and unique way actually builds him back up through this movie, but it's not through a power or strength thing. And that's what I think is the clutch decision is that the whole movie hinges on him finding himself and in him finding himself, he chooses love instead of strength, which is such a unique take for Thor. That's what I think ultimately the movie does so well.
1: There's, there's one little little blurb from Taika on that, that I just wanted to, to, read a bit of oh gosh um, I love this so we have facts he says right, right look we're really like
0: we have receipts <laughs> here we go
1: he says it strikes me that Thor out of any of the other characters in the MCU has lost the most he's lost both parents and his brother he lost his hammer and he lost his home planet and now his people are refugees and stuck on earth I think the only thing really left for him at the stage is to reflect on everything that's happened to him The way he deals with it and deals with these ghosts and demons and all this emotional baggage is to try and see it as some sort of big cosmic joke, where in a way nothing matters because we're all eventually destined to be leaves and dust. I think what he's trying to do is find a way to deal with all that sadness and anger because he's probably realized that resorting to violence and just dealing with your emotions through your fists or by using an axe doesn't really make you feel any better later on. Yeah, it's a little bit of relief while you're fighting and if you're victorious but then it's like chasing the dragon. You always want more. And so he's trying to figure out ways of dealing with all of this trauma through peace and silent meditation. And that's kind of where we find him at the start of the, of the film. Or maybe this. Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair. I think that's fair.
0: Wave the flag. Dude. And, and that guy doesn't care, right? He just made a joke movie that no one cares about.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I, I had man, the, the more I thought about this, both while I was watching it and talking with you and then like reading through here, it's it's just it really is, I think it's becoming one of my favorite MCU projects. I Wow, I, I he's think, out
0: there. He's out there which is loud as not.
1: Again, I, I totally see some of the the, the concerns people yep. have and I'm not negating those, but I just think for me Yep the story he's trying to tell, like maybe you could say he was, if anything, I think you could say he was too ambitious in everything he was trying to make happen.
0: Yeah, and that's perfect that you said that for me because the more and more I watch this, the further I get away from it, the faster it climbs up my rankings on the preference side of things as well. And for a long time, there was a chunk of films from phase four that all kind of fit into the same mold for me. I had a really hard time in my rankings deciding films like 12 through 17, because it was love and thunder and black widow and quantum and, uh, um, Shang Chi and so many of these fell in the exact same spot where I'm like, they're good, but they're flawed. But now for me, mm-hmm. the more we talk about it, Love and Thunder is, is kind of rising to the top of that, where it's like getting close to threatening my top 10. And yes, that sounds shocking, right? But I, I think I agree with everything you're saying. For me, Quantumania, Love and Thunder, and Black Widow, where I just don't really care what the public perception is i like them so much and i think i have a legitimate argument slash case to be made for why i think people are missing the mark on those films and so i'm with you on that too
1: back in 2019 when the the gore and jane of it all was first announced i was really worried that this would wind up being a ragnarok retread because You know, we had already gotten the unworthy Thor stuff there, which comes from the Jason Aaron comics that he was then going to be adapting here. And I was worried, like what you said, that we would just get in. We would get Thor being like beaten down more because that is sort of the whole point of the gore storyline. And eventually Jane taking over in the comics. But what I love now that I've seen this and kind of had a year to to reflect on it. It's not a movie about breaking Thor down. Like we just said, Taika understands that we've already seen that play out in virtually every way. So instead, we see Thor on the search for meaning that his mother sent him on, which is to say, Mm. for people that think that this is some kind of like wild left turn, it really is coming right out of Endgame. And that's something that Chris talked about, too, when I was reading his interview. We see him trying to find meaning in his role as a hero, as a guardian, as a god. And so it's like you get this tour of Thor trying to play the hits. And it's like he tries to play the hero again at the top, but it kind of rings hollow to the point where it's almost tongue in cheek. He tries to play teammate to the guardians, which is, again, funny because it's like a, it's almost like he's trying to get back the dynamic that he had with like Cap and Tony, but that can't be recaptured, which is something else we've kind of talked about uh, phase four meditating on in general. And so that's not the right fit. And it comes off as desperate. So he thinks that he can then ultimately find meaning in his role as a god. And you see him kind of be energized by that and by energized by the mission to Omnipotent City. But then he gets there and the god that he's always looked up to the most turns out to be this kind of pompous buffoon. And so none of these roles are enough to bring Thor back. And I think what I ultimately really love about this movie is that it's Jane who first transformed Thor from the arrogant prince to someone truly heroic in the first film. It's her that ultimately shows him who he really is by showing him what it means to sacrifice everything out of love and for the sake of love and I think that there's a really beautiful symmetry there. Like even if you go back to that that first scene whenever he kind of becomes worthy again. And they talk about that explicitly on the boat. But it's this like, what a powerful moment for Natalie's Jane character and a powerful moment for Thor. And just a way of, like I, I do think now if you if we never got another outing from Thor, I would be sad because it's a character I really love. But I really feel like this is a, beautifully, like, symmetrical story kind of all around because, like, what, what Tyke is talking about and, like, what we've talked about all the way back to Infinity War and Endgame, the Thor that had always thought he could solve everything with this kind of, like, angry vengeance and he's always going back to, like, get retribution. Like, he is now at the very end of this movie. He's actively choosing not to stop gore from walking up to eternity because he could. He could easily overpower him at that point. He doesn't have the sword. Instead, he's choosing to sit with Jane and to try to speak out of love to Gore, which all then culminates with him literally serving Gore, who is the guy that thought gods don't care about anybody but themselves, by taking care of his daughter. And again, like really giving him a, a literal eternal reward so i i think i love that now we are left with this thor that that knows who he is and what he stands for and what's actually going to give him meaning and maybe that's all super cheesy but that is not something that i think the average marvel movie has even been interested in trying to do like that is a that's why i say this is a taika watiti movie that is set in the MCU and and again, to kind of go all the way back. I get why some people would not love that, but for me, it's it winds up being really powerful as a standalone thing and as a as a chapter.
0: It, it's kind of becoming a little bit like Infinity War and in endgame where I say Ragnarok is a tighter film. I don't have some of the concerns, but as I listen to you talk about that, I'm not sure it's even trying to do nearly as much as what this film's trying to do. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me talk here for a quick second. I have tiny little notes that I need to close out this episode with, just things that I have to get in here, otherwise I'll be bummed that I didn't say it. Um, We talk so often about how this movie's a comedy, and I think in some ways, comedy's almost become a bad word for some people. Like, it's almost become a a negative, oh, it's just a comedy, it's a joke movie, and I... (laughs) I understand Mm -hmm. where they're coming from, but I just don't want people to miss that when the comedy lines up with your sense of humor, it is so funny. So there are still so many funny things in this film. I, I wrote a couple of them down. I still think it's one of the funniest decisions, the way they edit it, the way they shoot it, the timing of it to have the axe be like a human being. So every time mm-hmm. Thor is like, here, boy, here, Miller, here, Miller, here, boy. And then the axe just slowly comes in the camera. <laughs> and like the first time he just looks at it, the second time he grabs it's like, what? We're just talking, relax. <laughs> and like almost every time where that happens, it makes me laugh. The one that I think is so funny When he's way overcompensating with this egregious bravado early on, and he's talking with Chris Pratt's Star Lord, and (laughs) I wrote it down because we missed it last time. Um, He's like, "I always keep people an arm's length away," and then Chris is too far away, so he steps forward, touches, and then, then he goes, "This is the line, though. This is the line. You've grown too attached. Damn it! You just you must go." And then Chris right away goes, "Okay, we'll go." And as he says that, he goes, "Shh! I know it hurts." (laughs) (laughs) he's like all right we'll leave yeah we're out of (laughs) here i know it hurts and then the temperamental lass from you're giving my you're giving me my ship she's a temperamental lass but you know just it's really funny when it's funny
1: well and i remember you and i talking about this in our ragnarok episode way back but it's so fun to me to to read these actors that are so talented like Christian Bale or Kate Blanchett or obviously Natalie and, and Tessa talk about how just insanely funny Chris Hemsworth is.
0: Yeah, everyone like, says that.
1: It's which I, I love because I really do think so much of that is coming from him. Like I think that's why he and Tycho work so well together is they have a really similar sense of humor.
0: I I love Chris's humor in that he comes across as one of these guys that doesn't have to try hard to be funny. Uh, I just need to reiterate how unbelievably unique and creative and incredible the shadow realm fight visuals are Mm -hmm. the idea to have it all be black and white because color can't even escape this black hole of sorts. And yet the super weapons that they have have just enough power to get some of the color out. And so there's this like incredible shot of Valkyrie flying through the sky and like coming down with the lightning bolt. And all you can see is the lightning bolt lit up and it's so cool. And mm-hmm. the way Mjolnir is used as like a flashlight for Jane in this black picture, it's, it's so cool. As I said, from that moment where she explains her cancer, I just think the movie is Unbelievable from that point on in the shadow realm yeah. fight is a huge part of that. Uh I want to follow up with my final little tangents on why I think the film isn't perfect. I know people know this, but I sure. do think the film could have benefited from 10 minutes more of gore time. So if gore is going around and killing a bunch of other gods, I just wish we saw that. Mm-hmm. Not only I think would we have gotten a little more from Christian Bale as an actor? and allow him to stretch his acting wings a little bit. I also think that character could have used just a slight more development, like to see how much that sword is poisoning him. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit more time there, I think also would have added to the dread of like, oh gosh, what is Gore doing? Now they do give you some dread, like when he shows up at New Asgard, but I just, I wish I felt that even more from like, oh my goodness, this guy is capable of murdering gods. And you're next. Uh, Right. So I think that's one thing. I do think the first 10 minutes or so of the film are perfect. And like I said, the back from 71 minutes on the back, whatever that would be, uh, 50 minutes or so are perfect. Mm -hmm. I do think there's a middle chunk where a little bit wanders and... Gets a little bit too goofy with some of the jokes and like the floating head thing, right? We talked about this in the yeah. original episode. The Axel, like we still to this day don't understand why that had to be a running joke. That, yeah, uh, Heimdall's kid had to be named Axel now. I get to the I, and, of and the I try to look into thing. it
1: this time, still can't. Fit. I mean, other than yeah, the obvious connection, but right. I don't
0: that one kind of misses the, uh... the mark. And the floating head in general, why did that have to be the visual? Y- because yeah. they're actually talking about a very serious moment, and I don't think like you need to even point out that Axel, like him learning his father's powers could be a cool moment, not a joke moment.
1: Well, no, it, it, that is interesting because it's not like we got a floating head in Ragnarok when, yeah. when we had him communicating
0: with Heimdall. Korg's head being strapped on the back of Valkyrie, I just think those are Taika moments where I go, y- y- you're just missing a little bit, like come back, just come back two steps. Like, yeah, we don't like, need I, that idea. I think
1: that, like, there are certain... And, you know, again, I what's interesting about, about this movie specifically, I think there are elements of Multiverse of Madness that have this, too, is I, some of the things that I walk away from thinking, ah, like, that's a little much, are some of the other things that friends of mine loved and, like, thought was so funny. Like, I... I feel like the bow God, I could kind of take or leave. Correct. But my, I know people that really liked that moment. And, they my, thought wife was really cute and my wife loves it. My
0: wife loves it. And I, I actually think I would take it out of the film. I'm like, I don't need to be pulled out that ridiculously.
1: Right. Veronica's
0: like, no, he's so cute. And it's funny. I'm like, okay, what? I mean,
1: and so, it, and sometimes, you know, what I like is I'll, I'll come back and watch it and something will hit me a little bit differently. So like, I don't love the like Bluetooth speaker gag with
0: Valkyrie oh, and Jane. Correct. Because it also comes right after the bathroom scene, like right again. Right. Which, it's the it's the positive and negative yeah. of the crazy juxtaposition. Sometimes yeah. it misses yeah. for me. Sometimes it really hits, like the cancer line, you know. And
1: I, you know, I I do think that there's a case to be made that that is a real like. It's an intentional choice, and in that they are choosing to joke instead of acknowledge the elephant in the room. Yeah, but you know, I I think it's also like. And, and, you know, it's a, it's, if you step back from it, it's kind of just a fun, like, this is a chance for, for Jane to like be goofy in that way. And
0: which is why it doesn't ruin the film for me, but
1: but, I'm pointing those things
0: out that I think I would have made a different decision there. That's all. Yeah. And I've said, there are
1: several moments like that
0: for me. I've said this a gajillion times. I don't know how much this already made the episode because we had to redo it. I just need to reiterate this one last (laughs) time. When the movie is powerful, it's powerful to the highest degree. It's a top three MCU film as far as it moving me for whatever reason. And like like Thor having the conversation with Jane in the hospital is a Mm -hmm. very moving scene to me. Then we talked about the end with Eternity and how moving that is for me. So when it works it's not just that it's working it's like the payoff is extremely good <laughs> so i that that's yeah. why i think it's
1: moving up my rankings i to- i totally agree and one thing that i also would not have gotten to do if if we didn't have to re-record this i wound up getting to go see uh the dark knight in theaters the other night
0: oh they what? were showing
1: it at alamo in austin
0: that's random and
1: it was so fun just i I've only ever seen that the one time that I in, in theaters the one time. And so just to go back and it's like a, a fun way to experience that movie. And it was the same day that we had recorded the first part of this episode. And I think so many people would consider The Dark Knight to be the best superhero movie of all time. I, I think you could argue whether, you know, whether it is, in fact, a superhero movie. But I thought it was really interesting, a movie that's so dark that like does have a couple of funny moments in it but is but generally very not super few. interested yeah right. like in contrasting these two movies that are both comic book movies that i love so much and could not be more different and it just i came away thinking like yeah i love both of these a lot this is not me saying thor love thunder is as good as the dark knight i think my point is just Those are both like those are both rooted in comics. Like I could I could go through and show you what both of those movies come from, but they are adapted by such different different filmmakers. And I think that that's incredible. Like I don't want every like that's what's made the MCU so fun over the years is that we don't we don't need a Guardians movie to be the same as a Captain America movie.
0: The Dark Knight is unbelievable. But if we had thirty Dark Knights at this point, or thirty Winter Soldiers, we'd be like, okay, can we? Right. You know, plus everyone would be crushing Marvel for their formula. Uh, last two final things. Here we go. Um, on the deaths front, or quote unquote deaths front, uh, I'm thankful that they kind of pulled the rug out on the Valkyrie thing. Like I'm thankful she didn't die. I think that's the right call. Mm Because I think she's an unbelievable character, badass character, and I think there's a lot of room for her. Like, there's a subtle shot at the very beginning of the film where it's showing her being the president of – or the king of Asgard. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of, like, just not fulfilled by it. Like, she's a warrior. She doesn't want to be sitting there doing the red tape stuff. And I thought that's kind of a genius thing. Like, we could explore that more. Like, what does that look like for her to turn that over to somebody else or – does Asgard need a king like that anymore? Like, there's there's a lot there. So I think she's a badass, a great actor, and I just want her in the MCU. So I'm thankful they didn't actually kill her there. I just and it is- will, will be crushed if Jane comes back.
1: Oh, Jane's yeah. story yeah. is so
0: perfect, and and they tied in these first two films in the best way possible. If for some reason there's a storyline where you can get her out of Valhalla and she can come back, that's a huge mistake. Huge mistake. That yeah. one, I'll I'll die on that hill.
1: No, I, I agree with that. And I do, I I also agree with what you're saying about Valkyrie. And I like, th- I haven't really thought about it that way before, but it makes me appreciate even more the final scene where we show her like teaching all of them how to fight. Because it's like, that yes. is like, in, and you see, I mean, she's like smiling and it's such a, it, it is a contrast from the way we saw her being a king at the beginning of the film. And this feels like, Like in the same way, like what I'm saying, like in the same way that Thor is kind of finding what actually fulfills him, you're kind of seeing at least a hint of Valkyrie finding that in in her role. Good point.
0: And then these last two, I can take or leave. Korg, you know, there's an argument I think that could be made, and it's probably pretty uninteresting to be honest, but I think there's an argument that could be made that what if Korg had actually died when Zeus hit him with the Thunderbolt and he actually ceased to exist? But obviously the other side of it is, yes, um, he does bring about some cool parts towards the end of the film as far as like some character development with Valkyrie, things like that. So I could see both sides of it, but there's a part of me that wonders if it could have been a really moving thing and a serious thing to actually lose Korg there. And then I, I partially wondered, do we need him in the future? Like, do I need him in the next Avengers film? Probably not. Like that character is what it was you know, but I understand the argument on both sides. So I could take or leave that one. And then I can kind of take or leave the Zeus one. Like for Mm. a while, I thought, wow, it'd be pretty powerful if if Thor actually kills him and he falls to his death. Also kind of wondering like, man, how did he survive that? But I don't know. What do you think about the very end, the post-credits scene? Do you think we need Zeus as a character going forward or could it have just been passed down to Hercules? I'm kind of undecided on that.
1: I think I I like it because it feels like a an almost meta reaction to what Taika knew people would think about the goofy Zeus. Like it it and you could say well oh, if he was aware work. of that then should he should he have just not made him so goofy and that's a different conversation, but I like that like the line is when did we become the joke and talking oh, yeah. about how the superheroes are basically taking the role that gods used to have. And it's like, I think that that's actually really interesting because the whole movie is making fun of gods and you're only ever seeing them for the most part as like comically awful. And so this idea that he is aware of that, and that it like took this interaction with Thor to now kind of like I mean the the performance or, or delivery of just those few lines from Russell Crowe is so dramatically different from the way he talks through the film. So That's I, I think I like how it I like how it sets up to the next the next Thor outing if we get one because I think Taika what he's doing here is really opening up the MCU to a whole. Line of Thor stories that I don't, I don't know I, that I ever thought we would get. I mean, like so much of the classic Thor stuff is like these scenes of him wrestling with Hercules or like dealing with like primarily mythological, like uh, other like uh, either people from other mythologies or, or Norse mythologies. And we've kind of had so much of Thor as an alien that you know I could see some people being more comfortable with that because it fits more within the more grounded MCU to some degree. But I like now that, that like there's a reason why we're moving in that direction. And we were able to get across the theme Taika wanted in this film about gods, but also like maybe set that up and develop it even more. If someone were to come in and and take this in a, in a different direction. Like I actually think it's kind of Taika like putting that out there for someone else to come and, pick up so i think i like that's it. a good point. i, I that's like a good point. it's grown on me i'll say okay i like that's it point. that's one that like to your point i'm i would like to follow up on that uh i do hope that we don't really get any follow-up on uh the valhalla Jane. post-credit scene yeah both but- because of what you said and and for heimdall like I, that was yeah. a meaningful death that i yeah. don't want to see undone
0: I'll do you one further. I'm, I'm with you. Not only do I not want them to come back to life, I don't think I even want any more shots of Valhalla. Like, I don't want it to start becoming this idea that there's another reality that they're just living in. Right. Like, leave that to our imaginations, I think. Um, a perfect closing summary to everything we've talked about over these last almost two hours now, going way back to something I said, this film makes me so choked up that I have to fight back tears. If I'm willing to let those go, I will actually cry at this movie. Uh, but if I'm fighting it back, then it's at least a strong you know, lump in your throat <laughs> trying not to think about the sad things. Uh, and that is really rare. What makes you cry in the MCU? Or at least get to that point. And this is a safe space. There is no judgment <laughs> from me. All of our listeners, what makes you cry in the MCU? Legitimately cry. And again, it's a safe space. Like, no one can tell you you shouldn't be crying at this one thing. This is truly your personal experience. For me, it's it's endgame when Tony dies, but really stretched out through that entire funeral. And as you've told me off air before, the cheeseburgers line that yeah. Morgan has with Happy. So that's one for me, it's take my hand, Peter, in the middle mm. of the chaos at the end of Guardians 1. So that'd be two. It's no way home for me when Peter is saying goodbye to MJ and Ned and Doctor Strange more than when mm-hmm. Aunt May dies in particular. That's three. It's this movie at the very end, in eternity. That's four. Yeah. WandaVision for sure when she is having the conversation with her kids and with vision as he's about to disappear. So that's five. Am I missing any for you or do you disagree or, or just add, add, don't disagree. Just yeah,
1: add. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe unsurprisingly, there have been times where the, the plane going down scene in the first Avenger gets okay. me. And I think that that's this because a safe space. I, I think Evans and Atwell's performance there specifically is really great paired with the the first time we have that Silvestri melody, which we talked about in our Mount Rushmore Composers episode on Friends from Work Plus that will be coming out soon. Uh, so that, I, as I'm kind of going through the, the watch order here, I think that's the only one until maybe phase... Oh, you
0: Okay, I just remember this deep cut. You told me this off air, too. Do you remember? F- this is deep cut. Falcon Winter Soldier. Oh, Even yes. a little yeah, bit. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm trying to go in order and see if there's anything before. Yeah, I think so.
0: For both of us, that's of, when Isaiah Bradley is seeing his uh, memorial or, or whatever at the Yeah, whenever they go to the
1: Smithsonian, that yeah. one will get me. Yeah. WandaVision gets me as well. Yeah. Uh, Endgame. In game, it it is the cheeseburger line. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's little like gasp whenever Tony oh, yeah. says, I love you 3000 and then the recording cuts off. That kind of gets me.
0: I actually then, always get a little bit sad too. Like that lingers for me. Like the cheeseburger line bleeds into Wanda and Hawkeye's conversation and her being like, yeah, I wish they had, I wish they were here. Oh to know. yeah. Yeah. I could tell them. So yeah,
1: keep going. I, uh, I'm trying to think what else I, most of them are phase four, like No Way Home, the uh the Ant May Death is the one that will get me That's interesting. Wakanda Forever will get okay. me either at the top or at the, the back end. Like the especially when she's burning the funeral garments and we get all of the the shots of Chadwick that that gets me uh I think WandaVision, yes. You know, one thing that, like, I don't think it's it's quite brought tears, but it has gotten me, like, weirdly uh, emotional before is just the final, final shot from Black Widow, like, where it's, like, showing the fireflies. Oh, okay. And I just think that's a really beautiful way to close that movie and, and to deal with the reality of, like, it coming out after the character has died. Okay. But not without it being like a, a massive uh flashback movie or something. Like I thought that that was well done.
0: Oh, and I thought of one other one other. The Yandu funeral scene in, in Oh, Guardians that's
1: two. the one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's the that's one of the ones that just every time. The- For
0: me, it's not Yandu actually dying. It's a shot like Craglin seeing all of the other ravagers Same. show up or the conversation that they're having around that funeral. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll
1: talk about this pretty soon because No Way Home is uh, just a a few stops along the way. We'll pause a bit for Loki, but then hopefully resume soon. But I think the, the thing that gets me like with that death is the it's like the sense that Peter... It's so, it's so perfect, and so I won't get all into it, but it's like that <laughs> he, he has been so young the entire time we've seen him in the MCU. He's acted really young, and we've talked about that being something we want to see change now that he has kind of gone through this. But so, like, that moment hits in a way that I don't think the other Spider-Man adaptations did even with Uncle Ben for me, because it's like you do feel like the way Tom Holland, like Tom Holland's performance is everything there. I mean, he, he's Tomei like so great, innocent
0: but. and not ready for it. Like, yeah, he's such a kid
1: and he just he keep it, it's this like he thinks that he can still like get her to the hospital that it's okay. And it's like coming off of the loss yeah, of Tony. He, like, yeah, I think yeah, he does like the No, no,
0: no, no. What, what, what? What's wrong? Well, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Man. Yeah, that stuff.
1: I'm excited to talk about that movie because now I'm just thinking there's a lot we'll there, there to to unpack, but not yet because we've got a super fun. Exactly. Rewatch, pre-watch
0: combo episode coming next week. The next six weeks are going to be absolutely massive here on Friends from Work. So if you're a longtime listener, I ask that you welcome new listeners back with a nice warm hug. Uh, Yes, we are shifting gears now entirely to Loki. So next week's episode will be a Loki season one rewatch. But if all goes according to plan, we also will probably have seen a couple episodes of season two. So we will tack on a spoiler free preview after an ad break. So you can skip it if you don't want to hear anything about Loki season two uh, previewing that. And then we're in October 5th, which they heard us. They heard our complaints, everybody. It's happening. Let's play this. This is it. It's happening. Marvel is moving their release times to Thursday night at, I think, 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So what does that mean? all of us can finally be on the same page, having the same conversation, Sam Wise included, uh, (laughs) having the same conversation about this show that we love all at the same time. So you're not going to want to miss that. Loki now airing on October 5th at 8 PM central. We cannot wait to help uh, usher in that discussion. So
1: to get ready for that too, let's go ahead and, and, set our final group watch of this leg of phase four for 8 p.m. Central next week. And we'll watch the Loki season one finale at that time. And that'll be a little uh, draw run for the Loki season two premiere at the same time next week, where I know Kyle and I will be, I think, watching it the moment it premieres. And hopefully... Yeah, this is not something we've been able to do since the very beginning.
0: Get your minds right, people. Get into Loki. Like, we just watched Thor. Get into Loki world. Get your minds right. My last pitch, real quick, I just finished and uploaded, surprise to you, you're going to love it, my friendly reminder of Loki season one. So everything you need to know about Loki before season two in under seven minutes on YouTube, I'll take you through all of it. Clips included. It's really fun. So if you're going to be watching Loki season two and your significant other or a friend wants to watch it with you or something, and they haven't seen the first season of Loki or anything from the MCU, uh, I take you back through where this character has been and hopefully catch you up in preparation for the air date of season two. So check that out on YouTube. It's going to be available this week. The friendly reminder, everything you need to know. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. This has been an absolute mega episode. Throwback to our mega episodes of yesteryear. Thank you for Mm -hmm. listening. We love this film. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up at the FFW podcast on all social media, our Discord, the website. You've heard all of it. But please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Otherwise, we'll see you next time right back here on Friends From Work.